This is the OKS Hunter Podcast. Never pass on shooter bucks. That's just me, the freezer. It's your tag. You hunt how you want. This is OKS Hunter. Welcome back to the OKS Hunter Podcast. Coming at you from the OKS Hunter Podcast studio here in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. It's funny that I announced that on, I think, most episodes, and yet somehow every week someone's like, holy shit, you guys are from Oconomowoc? I'm right down the road. And that's always great to hear. This feels like Groundhog Day. I feel like you said that last week. I know, but that's what keeps happening. There you go. You're a local celebrity. Keeps happening. Keeps. You see what I did there? Yeah. Yeah. Anywho, um, yeah, if you're in Wisconsin, cheers to you. But if you're anywhere else, also cheers to you. We're in full swing hunting season here, pre-rut-ish. Starting to see some uh, some action. It's starting to kick off. There's sign being laid down. Depends on where you're at, I suppose. It's always slightly different from region to region, state to state, area to area. But uh, this is generally the time. Like Halloween is right upon us. And then you get in those first two weeks of November and it's game time, baby. If you're hunting the rut like me, like that's the way to go. Unless you're an early season patternable kind of killer. Uh, it's a different story here for me. Maybe Greg. Mm-hmm. We're brought to you by Half Rack. Check out half-rack.com. Make sure to use code OHP if you want to save some uh, money on your accessories, coolers. Uh, get yourself a new, uh, what's that called? A gun strap? Am I saying that right? Gun sling. That's what it is. Gun sling. Not a gun strap. That's something different. <laughs> That's not for this podcast. Way to go, Jockstrap. Yeah, that's right. Uh, shout out to Latitude, Spartan Forge, Go Wild, all good friends of ours. You can use code OHP across all of those companies and save yourself some money. Spartan Forge is 20%. Everything else is, uh, I believe, Go Wild's 10, Latitude's 15, Half Rack is 15. So check those guys out. We post to uh, Go Wild regularly. We had a good call last week where someone was trying to learn how to saddle hunt and recommended ch- checking out uh, Go Wild for a post. And hopefully that went well. And Greg, you got to, did you try out the Latitude X-Wing? Or was that, uh, who used that? That was Jace. Yeah. I, I just set it in the tree for him, got him up the tree. But, you know, I got to put feet on it, so to speak, and just kind of make sure it was in there nice and solid. A bit good. Yeah, set, a bit set great. nice. Yep, set nice. Um, Jace seemed to really enjoy it. Nice. Yeah. See, look at this. Oh, my God. Did you guys just say Oconomowoc? <laughs> I swear to God, every week. This happens. You'll see it on the screen in two seconds. Maybe it's somebody doing it on purpose. I don't. I don't know. I don't know this person that I'm aware of. I mean, maybe I do. I mean, we live here. But there you go. Oh my God, you guys are on Conwalk. I'm just on the road. So, I think I know who that is. <laughs> Nonetheless, how fun is that? Anyway, we do have a guest on the line, so let's get into it, buddy. Thanks for joining us today on the show. Hey, man, I appreciate the invite. Hell yeah. Uh, it's exciting to talk to you in this context. I talk to you on a weekly basis in a different context. So, you know, wearing several hats in this world and this is one of them. But uh, yeah, why don't you just give folks a quick update or download on, on who you are and who you're with and we'll, we'll dive into stuff. So, uh, Buddy Pyland, I'm with Ozonics. Been with them since we started the company in 2007. Kind of just worked my way up to the ranks. I'm currently the president of the company uh, in charge of just day-to-day operations. And uh, and on, as a side note, I get to go 
hunt and uh, and do what uh, what got me involved in the first place is just a love for bow hunting. It's awesome. Where Jason are you? White. And where are you out of? Are you what what state are you in? So I I'm I live just uh, down in Texas in Central Texas. I and uh, work out of the north side of the Houston area. Okay. And how many states have you hunted since you've been with those Onyx? Like, are you getting to kind of put your paces through the country here or what? Yeah, no, I've, I've hunted, uh, Kansas, Missouri, Iowa, Oklahoma, Kentucky, uh, still got a, Colorado, New Mexico. So yeah, we got a few, several trips to Canada, uh, the, uh, Saskatchewan, Alberta, New Brunswick. So, so it's all product. It's all product testing, right? Like that's what that's for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, all product testing and and getting to getting to chase some uh, unique animals. What yeah. was your favorite part about Canada? Or what 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 province was your favorite to go hunt in? Uh, Saskatchewan, northern Saskatchewan. We hunt the provincial forest up there. With uh, I, every time I've been to Saskatchewan, I've hunted with Dean Partridge and Canadian Whitetail, and uh, just the absolute coolest deer and and uh huge bodied whitetail and just a lot of fun i've had i've had the opportunity to go f- hunt with him four times and taken three really really nice whitetail cool yeah those deer known for big heavy massive racks and bodies that make those racks look pretty small man those bush bucks too up there in the provincial forest you know you never it's one of those places where i, I think they have access to about 240 or 50,000 acres I, he, I think he's got some more now but but when i was going that's and so sometimes you know you're 20 miles from camp uh, camp's nine miles in from the nearest road you take utvs in so when you then go another 20 miles deep in there you're talking about some of these animals uh, you, you may have never seen a human being and on occasion, you get the the bull moose that comes through and uh, huge bears. Most of the time when we've been there, it's too cold for them. They're already hibernating, but they've got great spring bears. Uh, just phenomenal. That's rowdy. Yeah, and that's another animal that's got a pretty, uh, pretty good smeller on it. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Well, yeah, so, like, good point, Greg. Way to, way to transition us there, guy, into... The, it's not <laughs> just a hit rack the up old, there, you know. The old factory. Um, being with Ozonix, I think we'll, we'll like cover off on Ozonix, like holistically or naturally or organically as we go through the episode. But uh, I figured I'd take this opportunity to just like really talk about reading the wind because, you know, from what I've seen with Ozonix, I don't think there's any denying that it works. I'd love to hear a little bit of the origin. Um, but overall, like I think reading the wind is a critical tool as a hunter that you can have in your possession once you kind of like learn that, but it's the wind's going to do what the wind's going to do. It's going to shift, change directions. You got thermals pulling, pushing, you know, things are going down up depending on morning, afternoon, evening, hillside, not like there's just so many other variables at play that understanding all that is good to know and will help you as a hunter. I think this is like a plan B to some degree, uh, as you consider what Ozonics can do, but I figure Talk about, I don't know, I guess a little bit of the origin story. So people know what we're talking about. What is Ozonix? How does it function? I think your origin story is pretty cool when you consider that you've been with the company since 2007. That's a long time ago. You guys aren't some yeah. new kid on the block. Like, you've been here for a while. Yeah, no, this will be our 16th season. And uh, and and quite frankly, the hunting the hunting world is, is, is in the grand scheme of things, especially bow hunting, is not that big of a place. And if we... Uh, 
if we were selling a, a four or $500 uh, product that didn't work, we wouldn't be in business because the word of mouth in this industry and in, in this, well, in this community is, uh, is powerful. And, uh, and so that's to your point, ozone science, right? We didn't invent ozone. Ozone's been around forever since the beginning of time. God created ozone, right? Every time lightning strikes the ground, it produces massive amounts of ozone. Um, somewhere along the way, uh, somebody figured out that they could create ozone by taking high voltage electricity and cracking oxygen molecules and, and, and creating this chemical reaction that creates O3, which is simply three oxygen molecules. And, and which is becomes a powerful oxidizer. Now, it's been used in industrial applications forever to deodorize, to uh, eliminate bacteria, to uh, mold remediation, to remove smoke and, and to kill virus and bacteria. Human odor is just bacteria. So at the point that Scott, our founder and CEO, had this idea as a dentist, he used ozone machines in his dental practice to get rid of uh, odor and to, to sanitize uh, uh, surgical utensils. He had a special machine for that. And then he had one for purifying air. And he used a laser to cauterize wounds, and, and he loves hunting elk. And so one day he's, uh, he's operating on a patient, cauterizing some uh, blood vessels in their mouth, and that smell of burning flesh and odor, is it comes out and it just disappears because of the ozone. And he has this idea, I wonder if this would work with animals, right? If, it, if it'll get rid of this pungent odor, would it get rid of, the, would it get rid of my odor in the downwind airstream? And, and uh, so that was the genesis of the idea. And at the time when he did a little bit of research, um, he discovered there was no such thing as a portable battery-powered ozone generator. Everything had cords to it. They were all, they produced massive amounts of ozone because the thought back at that time was, was it, you, you produce a lot of ozone and you shock situations to get rid of odor or, or mold or whatever it may be. So they went on about a three-year journey of kind of researching this, filed for patents, was issued patents down the line. But at that point, uh, he, he created a prototype. And in January of 2007, we went out and tested them on animals. And uh, quite frankly, we're blown away. I, we knew it would work had no idea it would work as well as it did. And that, that was the beginning of Ozonics. That's pretty badass. So the, I, I know the story, just having done some research and so forth, like, mm -hmm. can you, it might just be worth bringing this up for two seconds, just cause I'm curious about it. But like, what's the, uh, what's the deal with the FBI? Like, was that a, a real thing that happened? Oh yeah. So, so our patents were held up and, and we'll, because they were deemed a national security risk. Um, ozone, again, not only does it destroy bacteria and odor, but it also, uh, it, if it destroys odor, um, it, drug-sniffing dogs can't smell drugs. They can't smell people. They can't, uh, they can't smell explosives. And so... At the time, the FBI uh, and, the, and the federal government said, hey, hold on. They, Scott actually uh, visited with them a few times. And, and uh, so, yes, very real story. Um, and uh, it was kind of odd at that time. We're three years in, and the, and the hunting industry was still thought we were voodoo in a box, you know, because you can't see it. It's an invisible molecule. 
And uh, at the same time, the federal government's saying, hey, you work so well that, uh, that, that we deem you a national security risk and we're, gonna, we don't, we're not sure we're going to issue these patents because of how this could u- be used adversely against the United States of America. And then the, again, on the other side, hey, there's no way this thing works, right? And so it was always a really weird uh, paradigm that we, that we were faced with back then. That's crazy. I mean, that, I just, you know, I, I'm glad you mentioned it because it kind of validates things. So I don't, in my mind, there's no argument that ozone doesn't work, but it's a, a lot of times it's referred to as like you mentioned, you're the only battery powered portable unit from a patent standpoint that can go out into the woods with you, whereas others are connected by cords. And that may have changed a little bit in a 2023 world. Um, you know, maybe some incumbents that exist in other capacity or what have you. But to that end, like the woods is not a controlled, you know, Rubbermaid tote to some degree or a room where you're shocking something. And so, you know, I think I, I don't think it's worth like jettisoning the wind altogether. You got folks like John Eberhardt that will say, well, I don't care about the wind. I don't worry about the wind. I've never watched the wind. I've never been a concern because I use scent lock and it's carbon activated. It kills my scent. So therefore I'm not going to worry about it. But to Derek's point, who's not with us tonight, he, he couldn't make it in the pod. He's one of our other co-hosts. He mentioned on a podcast, I think a week or two ago that it's worth worrying about the wind insofar as how the deer will use the wind to travel. So you have the deer using the wind to travel to some aspect. Uh, and then you have yourself and where your scent is going to go. So regardless of you and your scent, the deer is still going to use the wind to navigate or traverse a certain property or tract or what have you. So I think the wind direction does matter. It's just a matter of like, how, do, how are you leveraging it? And how, how are the deer leveraging it? So there's almost two parts of the equation that you need to kind of balance out a little bit to, to make your move on something. And on public land, there's hunters all over the place. Like there's scents going all over the place. Like those deer might be navigating around that. And so if you're the invisible one, because of those onyx, that might be to your advantage in a major way. Um, if you're on private land and you are really tight on your exit and entry routes and you have your stands all preset and you know exactly which stand to hit based on wind direction of that day and so forth, like you could be in a really strong position, but deer are still going to do what deer are going to do, which are deer things, which I think Derek actually, to his point, had a deer come the way it wasn't, he wasn't anticipating it coming, which was his weak side of his saddle. And so he couldn't get his bow over his bridge to pull the shot off in time without alerting that deer to his presence. So all the best planning in the world still goes out the damn window. Now that deer didn't smell him, but nonetheless, it caught movement and he hit his arrow uh, on a branch and it was game over from that point. At, I think the thing was only 10 yards away. That being said, buddy, like in your experience hunting all these states and doing all this, you know, quote unquote product testing and someone that has been hunting for such a long time, like, are you still leveraging the wind in some way, shape or form, or have you thrown it to the wind pun intended? Um, so I know it's a lot there. Great. I don't know. I said a lot yeah, of no, shit. No, no. Great. It's a great <laughs> question. Right. And I, 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 I'm still an advocate of, of, I use the wind every hunt, right? Because I have to understand what the wind's doing because to your point that I've always looked at hunting, especially bow hunting. There's three major variables I have to, can, I have to try to manage one. I have to, I have to control noise. Right? If the animals hear me, they're not going to show up. But that's com- typically completely within my control. I have to, I have to manage the, being seen, right? So I, I can remain still. I can hide in a blind. I can climb in a tree 30 feet. There's a lot of things all in my control. The one thing I've never been able to manage was wind direction until Ozonics came along. Now, with Ozonics, what I get to do, one, when I understand what the wind's doing, I get to, I get to cheat the wind. 
to your point earlier, deer's going to do what a deer's going to do. Adam Hayes from Team 200, one of the one of the best bow hunters I've ever met in my life. A brilliant dude. Knows more about whitetail than than 95% of, of, of the people out there. And I, I don't know how many deer over 200 inches he's killed now. Free range deer over 200 inches. I think it was five at last count. Um, and he said something to me years ago. He says, you've got to learn to cheat the wind because that, those big deer are always going to use that wind to their advantage. So if I can find something, every product I buy in a bow hunting world is to, to either increase my opportunity or to maximize that opportunity or to create opportunity that maybe didn't exist. And I think Ozonics does that. If, if, if I can dump, so I'll back up. Do I use the wind constantly? Do I have to understand what it's doing and where it's going? Yes. Will I cheat the wind with my Ozonics and take chances that I wouldn't take without my Ozonics? 100%. Are there situations where um, before I had a, a very serious scent control routine, washing stuff, tubs, those type of things. If I, if I tore down a, a, a set and moved it a hundred yards in the, in the middle of the afternoon, cause I realized the deer aren't moving where I'm at. I, I need to move down. That's where they're coming through. And I get hot and sweaty. I would run, I would have to go back to camp, start all over again. I'll take those chances now that, that I wouldn't take before because of ozonics and because I understand the power of it. I, again, hunting with it for the last 16 seasons. Um, I know what I can get away with and not get away with, but if I have the time and the opportunity to use the wind to my advantage, I 100% will, and I use those onyx to cheat that wind. You got anything, Greg? Nope. Just making sure I give you opportunities here so I don't uh, bulldoze <laughs> you. But the one of the, the thoughts I had or the question I had wrong, camera, um, is – so the hunting public, Zach Farenbaugh, and, and, and several others. I'll just mention hunting public because they're widely known, and everyone knows Zach because mm-hmm. of his long, beautiful, luscious hair that I have none of. And uh, <laughs> like a couple of years ago, he, he talked about the strategy of like a bump and dump where he's using his, his stink scent to, to scent bump a deer, where he was intentionally letting his scent waft through an area to lightly bump a deer. So that deer is like, oh, I don't like that smell. I'm going to slowly get out of here where they're not like you know, running out of there, like their life is dependent on it. Like a hunter just stepped on them. It's a quite different right. approach. So you get eyes on that deer and realize that, that, you know, that deer now has confirmed, Oh, that bed worked for me. I smelled that guy. I got out of there. I'm now safe. I'm going to come back to that bed. Zach went back later that day or the next day and boom, killed it. So to that end, the question I'm getting at is, I don't know. I'm wondering, I don't have this information or Intel. I don't know if you do, but like how far does it matter to a deer if they're traversing an area and they pick up because there's going to be natural human scent if you go to a state park people are walking their dogs walking themselves Ooh. hiking off tra- off trails you know if it's in an urban area you have people cooking on the grill you have people cutting the grass there's gasoline there's there's a number of other scents that are in an area but for a deer when mark kenyon did that hunt uh last year with um the urban hunter uh taylor chamberlain and or yep. whatever uh, yep. yeah he talked about like well, yeah, killing a deer in someone's backyard has got to be super easy. And it turned out it was just as hard as any other deer because once you Absolutely. get into their quote-unquote bubble... Deer are still deer and they still they have know. the same hence senses. They know... Yeah, deer, deer but, have... Deer, like all animals, I believe, have a safe distance. And that's based yeah. on their environment, right? Their, their natural cues. To, to, I, I talked with Taylor the other day. And just like he said, you, you know, you 
if you're in the backyard and that, that deer's getting that odor from where he believes that backyard is, doesn't bother him at all. But if, if all of a sudden you're in that green belt between the two houses in that no man's land and he's coming up and he and he's all of a sudden starts smelling and he comes unglued and turned inside out. Now it may be maybe at 40 yards instead of 400 yards like some locations, but I, I do believe all animals have a safe distance and that varies based on their specific environment. Well, and to that end, the, the question I'm kind of getting at, and it, it might not be answerable, um, but it's a curious one. And I'll open up the phone lines too. So if folks want to call in with any, you know, questions and so forth, like please feel free to comment, call because it's a live show. But, you know, I, how far does human scent carry? And I think that, that you're right. There's a proximity to it where it's like it carries and they smell it, but it's not worth acknowledging versus it's right. carrying. And it's like, oh, this is too close for comfort. I'm out of Dodge. And then to that end, like how far is ozonics ozone uh, overlaying on that to help mitigate? Like, is there a, a windy day where the wind is too much where that maybe isn't going to have the effect it would on a light wind day or something, or like a light wind or no wind day, your scent just kind of pouring out of you. I feel like that's where it would be super helpful um, in some instances. So there's, you know, what to that spectrum of like no wind versus super windy you know, how are you leveraging an ozonics unit to help you in those situations? And what are the impacts that you've noticed or heard about from your partners? Yeah. So the first thing I think to fully understand from people is, is in, or, or for people to understand is that what you're worried about is not how you smell, right? You're only worried about the odor that leaves your body because that's what the animal downwind of you in the downwind airstream is smelling, right? So I, what I've got to do is keep the airspace between me and the animal clean, right? Void of human odor, or I have to reduce it or alter it. And ozone does all three of those things in the perfect conditions. Ozone in the right amount of time with the right amount of concentration mixed with my odor would destroy it all. And basically the downwind animal wouldn't smell anything. That would be in a perfect situation. And obviously we know the world's not always perfect. Um, the second thing that happens is ozone, when it attacks a, a, a human odor molecule, it's so much larger, but it begins to unravel. And there, there are times that that human odor molecule at a chemical level, at a molecular level, once it's been hit with ozone, it's, it's still there and intact. It hadn't been completely destroyed, but it's different, right? The, the chemical makeup is different, so it smells different. And so you, you will see animals, especially whitetails, as curious as they are, that that will smell something, they just don't know what it is. And then to your point, there'll be the third one where odor in that downwind airstream is being reduced, but some of it's still getting through, but it's reduced to a level that an animal downwind goes, oh wait, I smell human, but it's within my safe distance. Cause I think that that human to me at these concentration levels smells like he's 400 yards away, but in reality I'm 20 or 30 yards away. Th those are kind of the three things. And then there's always that, hey, some of my odor in the downwind airstream, because I can't control all of that, got through completely, and you'll see an animal get a full whiff of you and come on glue, turn inside out. And that happens. And it's because, again, imagine the best analogy I have for how you, for, for keeping the downwind airstream clean is imagine you're standing in, a, in a, a trout brook. You're fishing for trout in a stream in Montana. Now, when you watch that water move, whether you have a rock over here or a log over here or a bend in the stream, the water does different things. It go, it flows around. It creates eddies. There's underwater terrain or obstacles that the water moves over. So 
if I dump green food coloring in that stream and that, it, that would act as my odor, you're going to watch that thing. It doesn't completely take over the stream. You'll watch it. it. It'll move. It'll flow with the eddies around rocks. Something. Now, if I take blue food coloring and I dump it in there and that pretend that's ozone, you'll watch places in that stream as it moves away from you where the blue and the green mix and the, and the blue completely overtakes the green and destroys it. You'll see other places where the two colors mix and they change color. And now there's something different. You'll see other places where they're still green, but it's getting through because the blue never touched the green. That's what's happening in downwind airstream. And that's why it's so critical to, to pay attention to how you use your ozone, to understand what direction the wind's going, how you position your unit. All those things are critical. It's not just to throw it in the tree over your head and run it. You do have to pay attention to the environmental cues that are happening, what's the wind doing, and how I'm going to use that ozone to keep the, the, the airstream between me and the animal as clean as possible. That's a good analogy. And it is just a, it's a mitigation effort. Like it's not foolproof. And, you know, I think in a, in a controlled environment, sure it would be, but we're not in a controlled environment. We're in the woods where shit happens that goes not according to plan more often than not. And then you throw a human error into the mix like our myself and, you know, it's anybody's guess what the hell is going to happen. But, you know, reading that the wind is important. Do you have any, like Greg and I are huge advocates of using milkweed. I think a lot of hunters are. That's not unknown, <laughs> uncommon knowledge. There's, you know, the people have now have like the little vaporizers that do a smoke stream. You have the powders or the poofy things. Yep. That's good for like, you always have to like read the wind where you are. Like Greg, when you and I went out, to the property that you hunt, uh, public property, there's a predominant wind. But once I got into the trees, it started doing a little bit different things. I don't know if it's because it's deflecting off other trees. It's died down a little bit. The canopy's protecting it, so on and so forth. Well, like, there's a lot of things going on. You got wind. You have different disruptions of different trees, and maybe the cattails are a little taller in one spot. The sun's been hitting that area of the cattails or the grass, so that changes. You got a thermal uplift happening along with a, a weird backdraft that happens over the top of some of the taller trees. It almost creates a vacuum. There's a lot going on. And we're not even talking about mountainous areas either. No. Which is a whole different beast in and of itself. Nope. And yeah, I, no. And I don't know. I've always been the one to say the OKS hunters need the most help out of anyone. I'll take any advantage I can get to some degree. But it, it is fascinating. And we do have a question that came through. No calls on the line yet, but a question will pop up on the screen. Um from Zach, he said, question for Buddy, what is his average hunting height and what type of average terrain? And if it if it is 30 feet up, um, it may aid in his wind going over the top of the animal. However, has he tried hunting lower? There, has there been any testing at a lower height? And to that end, like Greg and I, there's a lot of times we'll hunt one, two sticks high because mm -hmm. that's all we can get away with in an area to not get silhouetted or the tree super skinny or what have you. Yeah, so that's, hey, that's a great question. And, and to answer that, I've, I've hunted everything from brush blinds on the ground that, that uh, I've had to build myself to 25, 30 feet in the tree. It's just going to, it just depends where I'm at. Like in Iowa last year, Missouri and Iowa twice, I've hunted those and some of the tree stands I had to climb into were, uh, I'm not afraid of heights, but when you're climbing around in the dark at 30 feet in some of these trees, it gets a little, a little wild. But most of the time, my place uh, down here in Texas, we're hunting out of ground blinds because of the, the, uh, it's in uh, South Texas. 
there, there aren't that many trees you can really use or, or sit. I, I did recently get a new tethered saddle, and so I'm going to try some, some trees that I couldn't hang a, a tree stand in. But for the most part, ground blinds, absolutely uh, on the ground um, in cedar, uh, natural cedar blinds that we've built. So everywhere in between, because again, it doesn't matter doesn't matter where I'm at. It just matters if I understand what the wind's doing and, and I can keep that concentration of ozone in the downwind airstream to mix with my, what odor is leaving my body. Yeah, that's good to go. Um, that's a good answer. And thanks for the question, Zach. We do have a caller on the line. Uh, I believe this is our buddy Noah, who's this will be a third week in a row calling into the show. So Noah, you're live on the show. Do you got any questions for buddy? Well, we got him here about wind and ozone and all that jazz. I actually do. I know it's my third week in a row, but it's I actually okay. do have it's a not question a bad thing. about this tonight. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for the call, man. <laughs> yeah, so, buddy, because uh, I don't know how to exactly word this great. Let's start with the situation here. You have a food plot. Where are you setting up in relation with the wind? Okay, so I'm I'm assuming that if you – like most of us, you probably have a predominant wind based on two scenarios, a, 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 a scenario that's non-cold front, that's just typical wind, and then you have a, a cold front wind. Um, you probably set your stands like that. When, when depending on what's happening, you're always going to determine the downwind direction. So if you get in your stand, no matter what the, where your food plot's at, again, if you're on the corner – You've got your hunting area. If the wind happens to be blowing from your, the back of your neck straight into your hunting area, you're going to set that unit up like a lot of times you see it uh, uh, depicted and dump that ozone right over the top of you and toward your hunting area in the downwind airstream. But if you've, if you've managed to get a situation where, hey, my hunting area, where I, my shooting lanes in the food plot, I'm catching the wind in my face, so the wind's coming straight at me. What I have to worry about is the animal that's going to circle downwind and come in behind me. So now I'm going to position my ozonics the exact opposite direction, always in the downwind direction. Because remember, wherever your odor's going is where you need your ozone. So it's really Mm -hmm. just constantly paying attention to what direction the wind's going and ensure that I dump my ozone in that direction. But like when you're setting up, you just you're always looking for the wind in your face there from where you're trying to shoot. No, not necessarily. Well, so imagine a situation where you had the wind right when you got there, but then a cold front moves through, and now the wind switched 180 degrees mm. and is blowing back into your food plot, right where right where you're expecting your animals to come from. But when yeah. cold front, they're going to be on their feet. They're going to come feed. And you don't want to leave, right? Sometimes, for me, before ozonics, you're like, man, my, my hunt's done. I got to get down out of the tree. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to turn my, oz- my ozonator 180 degrees back, and I'm going to dump it right down in front of me into my shooting lane. To your point, though, Noah, like, this is where I'll overthink things completely. Like, you have some variable of control because it's your property. So you have, like, you are the only yeah. threat on that property, especially from a scent mm-hmm. perspective. And you know where your food plot is, so you have a good idea where they're going to come to feed. But on public land, and, and on private to that end, like, is there bedding area behind you? Are they going to come from the bedding behind you to go out and feed based on the properties laid out? Maybe you don't have enough control to, like, deal with how, the, how it's laid out. And, like, 
it's just always interesting because like where they bed in the thick stuff or on a hillside or what have you like may not be they may come from a downwind area to get to an upwind area or the other way around like it's just i'll never stop over analyzing that and thinking myself into a total oblivion of like well if i walk in on the property this way my son's pulling across the whole thing but like if i hook it maybe it'll be better or if i there's just and then you're making it if it's your property maybe you really know where they are betting but that is an assumption i'm making a lot of times and greg too i think you're making assumptions to some degree of education like by and large you probably know where they're bedded but like on a alternate wind day they might be in a different bedding location or a very specifically different bed um i don't know man it, it's just like a constant conundrum for me like it's just well and, and that is the beauty yeah, right because the, the only place they can smell you is when they're downwind of you and so as long as you're dumping ozone again you're you're at least to, to use your words earlier, Eric, you're mitigating the situation or doing what you can to mitigate the situation. Now, if you can completely take that out of play, great. If you can't and you've got to put – I mean, we, we've all encountered those situations where we, we need to get in our bedroom because it's late season. It might be the only chance we've got on that that buck. Um, we take chances and, uh, and, and for – what you have to do is just understand – where the wind's going and dump your ozone that way. And now for in egress and ingress, we, we created the kinetic pack. For years, I would just strap a unit to my backpack and carry a unit in with me and point it toward the ground. But over the years, we developed the kinetic pack that we released back in 2016 that you mount the unit to the back and it blows, blows right up from the, from the back of you into, no matter where the wind's going, a molecule's lighter than the wind. So no matter what the wind's doing, that's where your odor's going. That's where your ozone's going. So we use those to walk in and walk out because, to your point, you can ruin a hunt on the way in before you ever get started. Does that help answer your question, Noah? It was a good one. I know you've been. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm just like you, Eric. I overanalyze it like, oh, hey, it's in my face. But what if they come behind me? Yep. You know? Yep. Are you real on the real hunt tonight? Yeah, I think the heater, were you uh, not like the last few times you called? You were hunting. A few times ago, you took a shot. At no, no, I. Uh, it's getting a little too dark after I get out, so it's it's tough sneaking in there. Well, after work these days, yeah. but I got the yeah. next few days off, so I'm going up in that cold front. Cool, Ooh, outstanding. Well, it's good to hear from you, man. Good luck. Well, I'm sure we'll hear from you. We're here. We'll hear from you soon. Yeah, hopefully. Thanks, guys. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Zach, who had the question earlier about hunting hide, he said the reason he asked is he's in the steep Appalachian Mountains. He has a lot of thermal issues and or wind swirling opposite of what the wind is supposed to do. I also only hunt with uh, two, I don't know what Two they, sticks, probably. Oh, yeah, yeah, two sticks. Good call, Greg. Way to read in between the lines there, buddy. That's why you pay the big bucks. <laughs> <laughs> so how's your how's your season been going are you hunting texas like where else are you at this season like what's going on uh yeah it's pretty much just hunting texas i've a, we we had a really dry year but a wet spring so well let me back up we had a wet spring but about may it just shut off and uh i was really worried um that our that our bucks wouldn't finish too well because it i mean it, it I, and I'm sure you guys heard Texas was just brutal this year. I've been here my whole life, and this is the worst summer I can remember. 
both from a drought perspective and from just a pure heat perspective. Um, and the animals, uh, most of my bucks finished really well because of the wet spring. Um, so I've got some good ones and I've been chasing them, but no luck. And we, and we've got a bunch of big axes. Um, I'm afraid that I, I missed the opportunity because they lose their horns year round. And, and, uh, the two that I was, we were chasing hard. Uh, I haven't had them on camera for the last two weeks. So I'm thinking we, we missed that window. We're going to have to catch it again in about four or five months, six months. But we hunted Nell guy down at the King ranch. I, I recommend that for anybody. If they ever get the opportunity, what a great, beautiful, tough, spooky bow hunting animal. I just, just uh, a lot of fun. I, I last year I took a bull uh, this year. I get, come close to a giant blue bull twice, two days in a row, same bull. Didn't get to seal the deal, but did kill a nice cow um, uh, the, on the uh, next to last hunt. And we hunted, uh, I did finally draw Montana and, for elk, and we hunted elk. So that's pretty much my season. I'm going to chase whitetail the rest of the year and, and uh, uh, some javelinas. I got a buddy with a place down further south that's uh, invited me out there to chase some javelinas. I've never killed one of those with a bow. Well, period. So that's what I got going on this year. I, I had a trip to Kentucky, but had to cancel it due, due to some business uh, issues. And, uh, and that may pop back open if there's an opening. I don't know. It's cool. I know Greg and I are just Wisconsin bound this year. You did Illinois yeah. last year, Greg. Derek's doing Illinois and Wisconsin. Was it last year you did Illinois? Was it two years yeah, ago? It was last it was year, wasn't it? Year. Yeah, maybe it was last year. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. Maybe it was two years. years. No, it wasn't last year. It was the year before. Oh, gosh. Time's going too fast. Yeah. Which someone just commented this week went by fast as, you know, the F word, which I normally just say, but I just felt like a, my dad winces when I swear on the podcast. But then he tells me it doesn't matter. He listens. Oh, we can, oh, we can swear? Oh, you, I, I, you can. Yeah. I, I, I have a button for it, but I never push it. I, I don't know which probably one's like, good. It's a little yeah. beep, beep button, but. That's fine. We don't. Um, no, the wind stuff's fascinating to me. It's a, it's a, hard there's a lot of different variables like we talked one episode about streams and and rivers how that sucks sent in and um does the current or the temperature or, or both i don't i don't know how you talked about the other day greg how canary grass holds heat holds coolness like so that creates a different thermal environment i mean there's just that was the big it, there's lots wind of relative to bedding and or food is the the way it needs to be thought about not just in general and i i exclaim this like I don't know, a week or two ago, like I, I never understood the wind because I just assumed deer would come from any, which direction at any point in time. Like I never had a good line of sight as to like how the deer would travel a piece of property other than like a funnel or something. And it's just a constant shifting puzzle that you're always trying to put together. And as you're putting, literally as you're putting it together, the pieces are changing in your hands. So like where you thought a piece would go is now different. And I think ozone is, ozonics is like a really interesting tool much like a bow is a tool or a broadhead is a tool or a saddle or a tree stand or your camouflage. It's another tool in the tool belt to help you with various situations. Much like Derek is not thrilled with the saddle after the situation he encountered. Wrong tool for that particular job, apparently, you know? Um, and I don't know, there's a caller and we'll bring him on in just a second or her, but to the point of like, I like how you describe, buddy, the it's not foolproof. It's not going to get everything. It will also chemically alter your scent in such a way that it may produce a different scent altogether. Or much like sound, 
when you're doing a buck grunt call, in some cases, like the volume you're pumping into this thing matters to mimic the distance that you want. Like a right. softer grunt versus a louder grunt plays into the proximity of distance from an audio standpoint, much like ozone can mask or mimic the distance of that bubble. I, I never thought about it that way. I find that to be a little bit interesting. I think even if they're smelling, if they're getting a watered down version of the human scent, maybe they anticipate you're further away and are less concerned. You know, that's really interesting. Right. Yeah. No, and again, bow hunting is a game of inches and, and seconds, right? A lot of times I need them to take two more steps. I need them to take a half a step. I need them. I need 10 more seconds. Um, and, and, opportunity so that the, the difference again I, I, every bow product is either to maximize existing opportunity or to create opportunity that didn't exist before very few products do both i believe i believe that ozone does both of those things and ozonics does both of those things um so if if uh, if, if a doe so so you imagine the right buck shape on a doe that comes in and, and but he hangs up because she smelled you right then you just lost out on an opportunity that that because you might not have ever even seen him but he seen because he's behind her and trailing her in and he sees her bus you may you don't know the opportunity you just lost out on and no so that's why i think it's it's imperative that uh that people understand how to how to as and i really like the way you said that earlier was but cheat the wind or mitigate the, the wind. It, it's, it's always going to be there. It's learning how to use it to your advantage. Yeah. Which is a seemingly never ending process, but uh, Zach, who was in the comments is our next caller. So Zach, you're live on the show. Uh, if you got some other clarifying questions as you hunt the Appalachian mountains, let's hear them. Hey guys, sorry. I'm bugging y'all to death and I, I haven't called in in forever. <clears throat> Happy Good to, to hear from happy you. Happy to hear from you, man. Yep. Yeah. Um, no, I wasn't trying to be, I didn't want to come off rude in the comments and I only had like 200 characters to top uh, <laughs> comments. So <clears throat> no, I'm just, uh, in, in a respectful way, I was just a little skeptical and stuff. And that's why I was wanting to ask. And it's no, no disrespect at all. It's just the, just the questions and not the lack of knowledge. So that's why I was just trying to gain more information about it. So I'm not out here preaching against something that I don't agree with, but I've never used or don't know the science behind it. Yes, sir. No, it uh, didn't yeah. come off that way for the record, but that's helpful to clarify. And, uh, I know. Yeah, that, my, yeah, my biggest issues is like fighting the wind is I can, cause I like trying to hunt some of the bottoms, but I don't have the big flat wide bottoms like, uh, Jake Bush has in Ohio and stuff. We have a lot of like really steep drainages and then the, uh, and I use Spartan Forge like you guys do and it'll have a wind and then it's good until you hit. And as soon as you cross into that bottom or get close to that bottom, it just starts swirling. It's going the opposite way. Mm-hmm. I'll be getting hit from the front and the back with wind at the same time. It's the weirdest thing ever. And that's before the thermals even start taking effect. So a lot of times, like, it's just, it's super frustrating for me, uh, in the thing. And that's just part of the game. It's a fun frustration, but, um, right. But that was just kind of what I was saying um, with us. Cause like, but I do have a cool story. If y'all got a second. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, so I, te- I think I texted or I sent it to Greg um, the other day, but I took my oldest son out with me and uh, for a public land hanging hunt. And um, he, he'll be 10 soon, but he's getting into like coming with me and tagging along on public land and putting in some miles and learning how to do it. 
and I'd been hunting this hub scrape that I found in the off season and uh, I have a camera on it and I've not had any bucks come to it this year, but it's a, the same tree that's their licking branch on this scrape is also like a signpost rub. So it's just a fire spot. Um, but all my pictures are nothing but does and fawns and maybe a couple bear. So, um, but every time I hunted it, my wind was swirling really bad and blowing back down into that bottom where the deer, they're kind of working their way out of that, that hub or that bottom. So with him, I backed up like another, it maybe wasn't even 10 yards and, uh, my wind stayed a lot more consistent out of it. So it's a, it's a, I'm trying to think how to explain it. So it's a hub that's running east to west and it's, this is actually a flatter spot that I actually have to hunt. And when I say flat, it's not Midwest flat, but it's just flatter than the rest of the stuff I hunt. The, uh, there's like a little saddle that they come out of and that's where that hub scrape is. Well, we backed up like another 10 yards and our wind was a whole lot more consistent. But the cool part of the story is one of the bucks I have about a quarter mile away on camera, um, we actually had an encounter with him at like 52 yards um, through the trees and he come up on the ridge instead of coming through that little saddle out of that hub. So I was pretty happy that I went in and hung two stands and hung the safety rope for my son and me and him got up the tree quietly enough to, to not disturb him because I think he was bedded just on the other side in that hub and I'm hoping we're now that I know that I can maybe move in a little closer on him. But I thought it was a cool story that I had my kid with me and got one of our shooter bucks within very, very close to range. No, that is awesome. What do you have to say about it? Being 10. Oh, he was pumped. He was absolutely stoked about it. <laughs> um, he went, he worked his way out and then, uh, I tried to hit, I'm not a big caller at all. Um, but I did have a little can caller with me and I know it was a little early for the, the doe bleak can, but I was like, well, if he's walking away from us, I don't have much to lose. So I hit that and, uh, didn't think he came back, but eventually he's like, dad, I see a, a big doe, big deer. And uh, I caught a glimpse of its belly, and I was like, I don't think that's a doe. And then he raised his head, and I seen that freaking rack. And I was like, <laughs> hey, that's our buck, buddy. And uh, and then uh, he was watching him through the binos, and I was hit the call, and he would look at look in our direction, and then he would go right back to eating. So he wasn't very interested in our uh, our BS can call, I guess. Not yet. Give it a couple weeks. Yep, give it a yeah, few weeks. Yeah, he will be. He will be. Oh, that's awesome, man. That's a great story. Thanks yeah. for sharing that. Good for good for you. And yeah, Cypher appreciate and... Um, I, I hadn't called in in forever, so I figured I'd call and bug y'all and comment and everything else. So. No, man, you're never bugging. It's always good to hear from you. Yeah, for like... the record, no one is ever bugging us. It's the reason we got the, the number. I wouldn't put it out there, you know? Here's a number, but don't bother me on it. No, it's all good. We love to hear from our listeners. It's a two-way dialogue, and I think that's yeah, what man, separates keep, us. So. Keep, me, uh, keep me apprised of how it's going. I love getting your messages throughout the week, so... I appreciate it, Greg. Uh, Eric, have you been in the woods much? I've not seen a whole lot. Oh, Greg and I were bickering about that before we hit the, the record <laughs> button, before Buddy joined us. Greg's been out six times, which is not nearly enough for him. You want to guess how many times I've been out? I, I can't. I'm trying to remember the stories. I think once, maybe. Yeah, well, you're right. Once. My, my wife is <laughs> stiff-arming me from being in the woods, and not in a mean way, but last week was her birthday, and we had a wedding, and the week before that was our anniversary, and this week's trick-or-treat, so, like, I got uh, I got really? rotation planning, but I overdid it last season and the season before with three children under the age of six, so I got to I gotta recalibrate my priorities. That's poor, that's poor planning, Eric. It is. Poor. It is. <laughs> I, didn't, yeah. I yeah, underestimated right. my, yeah. my, well, how my obsession with this stuff would grow, and my wife grossly underestimated it, so now we've got three kids. i got to just... <laughs> Be dad and husband first, and yeah. I'll get my time. I'll get my time. I'll either make it happen or I yeah, won't. But yeah, you got some. I uh, got to save some of the sick days up, and uh, you're not feeling too well today. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, she won't buy that. So it just happens. 
that cold front and that correct wind. Yeah. Now, Greg's over there in the corn, like re- uh, ready to reach out and touch him. Yeah, he was. He was just man. It was a close. <laughs> it was a close encounter. Uh, it was crazy. Like five yards away, and I could hear the deer breathing. I could hear it crunching on corn, but I couldn't see it. And so I just happened to. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I couldn't see it because there's the corn's tall and it's thick. So I just happened to look up and I yeah. saw a corn stalks moving. I'm like, man, that's close. So I had to get down. Just tackled it. Just about. So I got down on <laughs> one knee and and like looked real low. Then all of a sudden I saw a leg, and then another leg, and I saw a chest, and I saw an eye and a nose. I'm like, oh, there it is, right there. So I'm kind of looking around and it's it's feeding contently, and I found an opening probably about three inches wide where I could see the vitals. Well, let's see if I can make something happen. I got the bow, I kind of moved around. Of course, I made a little noise crunching on corn leaves and the wind had picked up just at the right time. The deer didn't really spook at that point. Came full draw with the bow and trying to line up that opening again and find the vitals, I couldn't find anything. I I must've moved just two or three inches to the right or to the left and I lost the opening. So I'm looking and all of a sudden the, the deer must have like either caught a little whiff or just decided eh, maybe that crunch over there didn't sound right. And it bound off. It never blew. It just took off like a freight train through the corn and let down. And that was the end of it. But I could Ooh. hear deer moving around in the corn 20, 30 yards behind me. So it, they're, they're still there. They were, the farmer walks that property often with his dog. So they're kind of used to some human presence so that could be why that deer never blew at me she probably figured well there's got to yeah, be well, a human somewhere yeah that's not bad uh, uh another encounter i had this year but i started off the season with my great grandfather's recurve that was given to me um it's an old beard and pearson that's like 70 something years old and uh, i got a new string and arrows and stuff for it and practice with it and uh, i set one set not too long ago it was less than one stick high i actually set my tree stand uh standing on the ground and um i had two fawns come out of the bedding area that i thought the day before there was like a dozen does piled out now i was just there to to get a doe but what you know meat hunt whatever came and um had that recurve and i was i want to kill one deer with it and then hang it on the wall and be done with it and um because i didn't know that anybody even had that bow but um I had two fawns and I think they lost their last spot while they were walking up the hill. So I didn't have the heart to kill them because my dog weighed more than they did. But, uh, I had both of them right at two, it was probably three, maybe, maybe four yards. And they were crunching on acorns and stuff and walked and they were suspicious of me because I was wearing completely, I listened to your last week's podcast uh, with the camo and stuff, but I was in completely solid colors and everything. And they were a little suspicious. I don't think a, a mature buck would have, I could have got away with it, but um, it was pretty cool having them that close. And I think I put a reel out there. It's on a GoPro or it's from a GoPro. So it looked like they were a little bit further away because that wide angle, but uh, it was pretty cool having two, two deer that close to me. And uh, like you were talking about, Greg, just almost, you can almost reach out and touch them and you can see them and hear them breathing and everything. Yeah. That's what it's all about for bow, bow hunting. Anyway. That's right. That's right. Well, thanks for the call, Zach. We appreciate it, man. Yeah. No problem. Good, Good luck. luck. To you and your I'll boy. stay classy and, uh, you got to use your coaster there, Eric. Uh, you're raising a barn or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> y'all, y'all have a good night, man. All right, you too, you. bud. We'll see you. Take care. That's fun getting to hear from people. Uh, 
He's out of uh, Virginia. Virginia. I was like, where the hell are the Appalachians? Uh, they call us here from Wisconsin. So we, yeah, in any given episode, we'll hear from people all over the country. It's kind of cool. But so uh, cool. yeah, bow hunting is, a, like you said, a game of inches and seconds and close proximity. And I think what you guys have done with those Onyx is pretty cool, man. Like the fact that you've been around since 2007, like if I'm not mistaken, Scott started everything out of the, out of the garage. Like that's the, that's the American dream yeah. to some degree. Like, and, and more specifically, that's the hunter's dream to, to start a business out of the garage in the hunt space. You can go do what you love more and like be a part of it. It's that's something that's definitely really, really exciting. Yeah, no, I can't complain. It's been awesome. I didn't start bow hunting until late in life. I was 32 years old before I got my first bow and uh, it took me five years to kill my first buck. And as a matter of fact, uh, I, I think I, I have the, I, I killed the first buck ever taken with ozone. So um and any and all 116 inches of them hanging on my wall and is my favorite buck because again i worked anybody who's bow hunted knows i five years i i did everything i could to, to kill a buck and it, that's how long it took and it was it's a neat experience that's why he's my favorite yeah it's not always about the inches it's about the memories made and that's it yeah bow hunting's hard i, I mean you hear people say that um and, but i think that's why uh, a lot of times people are attracted to it you know yeah, and some people make it look easy, but some people are doing it like it's their actual career. You know, I know uh, yeah. our first caller mentioned, or yeah, Zach mentioned uh, Jake Bush, who's in Ohio. He's he does it full time. Yeah, you know, you, yeah, you know, the hunting public guys they do it full time. They're in the woods more than most, and when you only have a certain amount of time, like Greg and I talking about, but the combined number of hunts we've had this season is seven. <laughs> like, there's not you only get so many opportunities. You want to make sure when you get those opportunities that you're not you know, hoping on a prayer for the wind to do what you needed to do. I only have so many properties right. I can bounce around to in close proximity to my house. And the predominant wind is not favorable for a number of them. It just isn't. And I'm not saying I'm going to cheat the whole entire predominant wind direction, but like I need a slight shift and I can maybe make a move. Um, that's it. Yeah. Well, that's like, that's like, you know, sometimes somebody saves up all their money. They, you know, I, I spent five years uh, buying points every year send my $52 in to buy an Iowa point because I dreamed of hunting Iowa for the last 15 years. It's been a dream of mine and finally got off, uh, off a, you know, off my butt and started buying points, got the points. Now I could drive all the way up there five years worth of effort and get there and have, have the complete in which it was the first day we were there. It's like 77 degrees. We're completely wrong wind for the stands. Just, just not Iowa weather for the rut. Um, and if I didn't have my Ozonics, I, my hunt would have been ruined. You know, you're up there sweating, the wind's blowing the wrong direction. As it was, I had a great hunt that evening. The next day, a front moved in and, uh, and had, had a killer hunt that day. It was on three booners. N never had any of them come close enough to shoot, but watched them all afternoon. We had, and had one out in the field, uh, just amazing place um and then and then i took a nice buck the next day so it's uh a hunt could be ruined and you hate for you hate to to run into a situation where you put all that time effort and money into it and then because you you get up there and the weather won't cooperate and you have no way to mitigate or manage that so and i think ozonics gives you that again that tool in your arsenal to help uh, address those situations. That's a good way to put it. 
And the things that are in our control that'll ruin a hunt more than anything else, and I'm speaking from experience, a cell phone. Put the, <laughs> put the fucking thing yeah. down. <laughs> like, there's yeah. my swear word for the episode. Yeah, that's a, that is an absolute truth. Ruin a hunt in one word, smartphone. Like, because we're using it for a tool, we're all oh, the wind, the land nav, the navigation, the this, the, the, all the stuff, texting your buddy, taking the pictures, doing the thing, like keeping yourself from getting bored out there and... That's the damn very thing that'll ruin it more than sleep in some cases. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and when you look up and there's your shooter staring at you and you're holding your phone, you're like, yep. Just totally unready. Yep. And there's just a lot of uh, TikTokers and YouTubers and the Instagrammers and the influencers that are just, hey, look at me. I'm in my tree stand. Oh, shit. There's a deer. <laughs> like, how many deer did you not see because you're talking to your phone or taking a video? And this is. Yeah. A note for myself as much as it is for anybody. Cause, you know, I actually really enjoy taking pictures too. I, I love I love like editing photos and stuff. It's just a nice pastime for me. But there comes a time when it's the rut. And if you're putting the time and you're taking PTO and you're away from your family, like do everyone a favor and put your phone down so you can maximize and make the best of that time. That's step number one in a lot of our it's in a lot of our control in this day and age, but we've all become pretty addicted to those devices. My PSA for the for the week is put your phone down and go hunt. It's not a bad one. I'll say that to Greg. As he, yeah, he's yeah, texting me at the most inopportune moment. It's usually like someone send me like a trail cam photo. Look at this buck. I'm like, oh yeah, look at that buck. I'm in the woods right now. Look at where I am. And it's like, shit, <laughs> there, there it goes. <laughs> <laughs> um, one more question since we got you here. Uh, it's, it's Facebook users, which means they're watching in one of our Facebook groups, uh, likely the Shooter Buck Club. So it's not showing me who they are, but they said, uh, what would y'all say is the best scent killer and cover scent to get in y'all's opinion. So scent killer, ozone, ozonics. Yep, like you guys have, what I think is interesting about you guys is I could go, I could go, uh, what's it? Scent crusher owned by Faradine. I could buy a scent crusher bag, but that's a plug-in unit and it's for a bag or a tote or whatever I'm going to use with that versus yours. I could use the same way and have the battery to bring it out into the field. So it's a, if I'm going to spend the money on one, I think yours makes a lot of sense because you're maximizing the investment and you're getting more purpose out of it. Sorry, I'm asking a question for you, but like, yeah. Yeah. We've got closets. We've got the dry wash bag for treating your gear pre hunt, post hunt. Absolutely. And then the cover scent. I I, I don't know. Like I, I love the dirt stuff. Actually at this point, I think the dirt stuff doesn't do shit for the deer. It does a lot for me. It's nostalgic at this point. Same with that green goop soap. It's like you go to deer camp. That shit doesn't actually work at all. In fact, I probably get more bo and stinky because it's not doing Honestly, any job. Honestly, if you can smell the soap, if it it, it all has a distinct odor, right? You bust stuff with yep. the red bottle, the stuff with, is green. All of it has a distinct odor. Yeah, it may not be as pungent as like the typical herder head Ash. and shoulders, X body spray, you know, Dark Temptation, your favorite, <laughs> but it still has an odor. If you can smell it, you can guarantee that the deer are gonna smell it. Yep. Bottom line. But, but to that though, there is the the nose jammer stuff. It smells to me like vanilla. Is how like I don't know if that's that's not actually. Yeah, that peak, that but like people like, swear by because it's yeah. like such a. Well, it piques their curiosity and yeah. it, uh, some may think it calms them. Tough to say, but they they want to smell it. They want to know what it is, or it smells like some kind of food that they like. So and there's other cover scents like if you're hunting corn, you can get a corn spray. If you're hunting pines, you get a pine spray. 
I think all those things uh, are things you can do, but nothing, nothing, there's no um, silver bullets, no, guys. There's, there's no, no silver bullets. Uh-uh. Honestly, if, if you know you're hunting a marsh or whatever, and it's got a lot of willows and there's a lot of willow leaves and, and cattails and stuff, take a bunch of that stuff, put it in a, in a tote with your clothes. If you don't want to use an ozone killer, um, use that. And at least it's absorbing some of the right now natural sense, but it's, it's so temporary. Yeah, because by gotta, the time you sweat up and all it once, you got to do is done. take a walk in the stuff, yeah. and yeah, you're gonna stink. Yeah, you're, so you're still breathing and sweating. Yep, exactly. And like the point of like, oh, walk in without, it and then put yourself. Well, what do you think's in your bag? You know, your sweaty clothes. Yep. You think that bag's foolproof? Maybe put a garbage bag and then the bag. But you're just at some point you're putting in so much effort, yeah. and I think it all again. You're just it's again exhausting. mitigating. You're you, mitigating. You just go deer hunt. <laughs> There you go. The Whitetail Adrenaline guys, when we had Jared Scheffler on our first ever episode, you know, 300 some odd episodes ago, 10 years ago, whatever it was, he told a story of how like he was doing all the stuff, buying all the scent stuff, buying all the right camo, setting up a tree spot, so on and so forth. And then his car broke down. He was covered in gasoline and oil, wearing blue jeans and a white t-shirt or something like that. And thought, well, hell, I might as well go hunt while I wait for the tow truck to show up or whatever he had going on. And he said, I didn't kill the deer that day, but that was the best encounter I'd ever had with the biggest deer I'd ever seen. And I didn't do any of this stuff, right? I hunted from the ground, smelling like car oil and gasoline. And I was within, you know, yards of this big giant buck. And, you know, so it just goes to show we harken back to like grandpa times or great grandpa times, plaids and blue jeans and shit. Like, of course, you could smoke a cigarette in the stand and you could probably get it done. But am I willing to take those chances? No, I'm going to do some stuff. To, and everyone's got their their like metric of like what their moral compass allows or their ethics or their ch- level of challenge that they want to pursue. Zach mentioned using a, a recurve or a longbow, whatever it was, a trad mm-hmm. bow. There's just such a spectrum of what every individual hunter wants to do. It's very different from everyone else. And like we always say, it's your take. It's your hunt. Hunt your own hunt. It's like whatever you're going to do. Like don't, don't judge other people for what they're going to do. Yeah. All right, I'll stop. <laughs> anyway buddy thanks for for hanging out with us what what is with these thumbs on the screen you seeing this now it's giving me a thumbs down did someone do that am i doing that like i think it's like see, oh yeah it's me somehow i thought my face was a thumb down you see that that's yeah, I weird don't, i don't know what that's i didn't about. know what that was it's a new thing i'm not i'm not sure if i like it it's just doing it on its own i don't know how to turn that off anywho thanks for being on the show and, well, thanks uh, for having me, guys. I really appreciate the opportunity to just chat about something. Uh, we the, the, the shared love for uh, for white-tailed deer and bow hunting and in general. Yeah, and what's the website? Because I want to make sure we send people to the right place. Like, there's always the, yeah, the time, right? It's Ozonics Hunting, all one word. dot com. Boom, that's Fair it. Enough. Rock so, on. Come come visit us. We, we we got everything you need. Cool. Well, I'll end the live stream. This will be in podcast land tonight. That's how it works here. Um, if you want to hang out with us for just a minute to debrief, we'll, we'll chat with you and then we'll let you on with your night. So thanks everybody for tuning in. See you. Thank you.